not even in the most innovative spirit. Yet he grew obsessed over the years with matters others did not dare to mention aloud. In fact, he paid close attention to mental retardation. Why? Because Himmler subscribed to the theory that the best human possibilities lie close to the worst. So he was ready to assume that promising children, when found in low, nondescript families, could be incestuaries. The word in German, as he coined it, was incestuaria. He did not like the more common term of such disgrace, bluchanda, blood scandal, or as it is sometimes employed in polite circles, dramatic des blutes, blood drama. Even in the early years of the SS, Himmler had recognized that one of our prime needs was to develop exceptional research groups. We had a duty to search into ultimates. As Himmler put it, the health of National Socialism depended on nothing less than these letze Fragen, last questions. We were to explore problems that other nations do not dare go near. Incest was at the head of the list. The German mind had to re-establish itself again as the leading inspiration to the learned world. In turn, so went his unstated coupling, much recognition might be given to Heinrich Himmler for his profound attack on problems originating in the agricultural milieu. He would emphasize the underlying point. Husbandry could hardly be investigated without comprehending the peasant. Yet to understand this man of the earth was to speak of incest. Here, I promise you, he would hold up his hand in precisely that little gesture Hitler used to employ one prissy flip of the wrist. It was Heinrich's way of saying, now comes the meat and with it the potatoes. Off he would go on a peroration. Yes, he would say, incest, this is one very good reason that old peasants are devout. An acute fear of the sinful is bound to display itself by one of two extremes, absolute devotion to religious practice or nihilism so the peasant looks to keep himself devout. He nodded. He nodded again as if two good pumps of his head might be the minimum necessary to convince us that he was speaking from both sides of his heart. How often, he asked, could the average peasant of the last century avoid these blood temptations? Given the paucity of their social life, how were they to acquire the ability to stay away from entanglements with brothers and sisters fathers and daughters. He did not go on to speak of the pell-mell of limbs and torsos formed by three or four children in a bed, nor the ham-handed naturalness of the most agreeable work of all, that hard-breathing, feverish, meat-heavy run up the hills of physical joy. But he did declare, Who, after all, is most likely to find the honorable work and features of the father or the brother particularly attractive? The sisters, of course, or the daughters. Often they are the only ones. The father, having created them, remains the focus of their attention. Handed to Himmler, a great believer in Schopenhauer, he would also give prominence to a word still relatively new in 1938, genes. These genes, he said, were the biological embodiment of Schopenhauer's concept of the will. We know, he said, 
that instincts can be passed from one generation to the next. Why? I would say it is in the nature of the will to remain true to its origins. Great leaders, I would tell you, are rarely the product of one father and one mother. It is more likely that the rare leader is the one who has succeeded in breaking through the bonds that held back ten frustrated generations who could not express the vision in their own lives but did pass it on through their genes. Needless to say, I have arrived at these concepts by meditating upon the life of Adolf Hitler. His heroic rise resonates in our hearts. Since he issues, as we know, from a long line of modest peasant stock, his life demonstrates a superhuman achievement. Absolute awe must...